This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care boarded specialist and also a toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm excited to talk to you about all things feline with Dr. Vicki Thayer. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. I'd like to tell you about Natural Farm all-natural dog chews and bones made from sustainably sourced ingredients and produced and lab-tested in their factory in Brazil. Natural Farm has some new exciting products, including stuffed collagen sticks in three different flavors, bully stick, peanut butter and chicken, power bully sticks made from beef cheek and pizzle, and peanut butter flavor collagen sticks. Your dog will love them. Go to naturalfarmpet.com and save 15% off with code ERVET15. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Now, if you have a cat, you have got to pay attention because we're going to be talking about a really important disease called FIP. And I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, who's veterinarian, Dr. Vicki Thayer. And she's a board member of the cat adoption team. She's active as a volunteer with Every Cat Help Foundation, which was previously known as the Win Feline Foundation. And so excited to have you here today, Dr. Thayer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me to be here. So just so our audience knows a little bit about Win Feline Foundation, which is now Every Cat Health Foundation, do you mind just, first of all, giving us a little bit of background about what that is, and then also introducing yourself? Who are you? Where do you practice? What do you do now? And tell us how many cats you have. Hi, I'm Dr. Vicki Thayer, and I live in Oregon, and I have been very active in the Win Feline Foundation, and it's now Every Cat Health Foundation. The foundation was founded in 1968 by the Cat Fanciers Association with Robert H. Wynn, who was the treasurer at that time. He saw the need for funding for cat health research, development of that focusing just on cats. And certainly for the last um, 50 years plus, we've been funding health research just for cats. Uh, A lot of it has been toward feline infectious peritonitis and looking at vaccination, pathogenesis, transmission, and a lot in recent years of in regards to treatment. And I am an active now retired veterinarian, but I am a volunteer with the foundation and I do a lot of help in the education and scientific review committees, looking at funding research grants and that I'm also a diplomat of 
a feline specialty in ABVP or American Board of Veterinary Practitioners. So I'm still very active in in helping and I've spent a lot of my last year and a half working towards the completion and which we now have publication of the uh, FIP diagnosis guidelines, which will be in the Journal of feline medicine and surgery, that's really kind of out online and will be in the published version here in September. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all that you do and also for everything that every cat does. You know, I have previously talked about FIP because when I went to vet school 20 years ago, it was a death sentence if your cat was diagnosed with feline infectious peritonitis or FIP. And I've talked about this previously on our Pet Life Radio ER Vet episode 87 and also on episode 103 because it's so important. And again, there have been some major new updates with that. So what I wanted to do today was I wanted to talk to you about specifically FIP. Now, I know that the American Association of Feline Practitioners which is called AAFP, and Every Cat Health Foundation have just released the 2022 guidelines for FIP diagnosis. And that's why I wanted to have you on, because there is still a lot of confusion, even for veterinarians, when it comes to diagnosing FIP. And so I wanted to be able to interview you and just touch base on some of the essential information necessary to provide an accurate diagnosis of FIP in cats. Now, first of all, before we begin, can you just briefly tell me what is FIP and what does it mean when my veterinarian tells me they've diagnosed my one-year-old cat with FIP? Well, FIP is caused by a viral coronavirus or the cat's version of a coronavirus. And it's usually, it's a very common virus in the feline world. It's um, you know, fairly contagious as far as what the feline coronavirus innocuous intestinal virus. It's worldwide. Cats are exposed to it pretty much anywhere and everywhere. And this particular intestinal virus or feline coronavirus is, you know, most cats will oftentimes not even act sick or may have a little diarrhea. And most cats will be exposed, get over it, and it's not a problem. But in some cats, potentially maybe 7 to 14% of the ones that are exposed, it for some reason, we will see the virus mutate. The cat's immune system may not be able to handle the, you know, that particular mutated virus. And that virus will change from an innocuous, just like to live in intestinal cells, it will change its replicative nature into what are called monocytes, which are blood cells, uh, immune blood cells, and macrophages, which are tissue immune cells, and they love to live and replicate there in this particular situation. That virus is the FIP virus form, and it's the lethal form. And that form, the monocytes and macrophages tend to circulate this around the cat's body through the the bloodstream and will locate in different organ systems and that will cause the virus will attract an immune mediated reaction with a lot of inflammatory cells it will start damaging blood vessels you'll get leakage of 
plasma from the bloodstream, you'll get immune cells and essentially inflammatory proteins drawn into those particular areas and tissue and it starts damaging particular organs. And this virus, this particular form is lethal. And usually, as you said, most cats that are exposed and develop, you know, the lethal form just will essentially eventually die from the disease or the effects of the virus and this immune mediated reaction. And so, you know, what we like to oftentimes or different people call the good twin, which is the intestinal virus and the evil twin, which is the FIP virus form, or essentially a Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll. And the innocuous form, like I said, is very contagious, but the FIP form, virus form, is usually not contagious from cat to cat, very unlikely, but it is, again, a a very serious disease. And when a veterinary diagnoses that in a particular cat, especially a young cat, it's a grim concerning diagnosis and you want to be sure what that cat is looking at as far as, you know, the future and what can we do, you know, for that particular patient. Great information. Thank you so much. You know, when I used to see FIP 20 years ago, I would say it was much easier to diagnose uh, when there was a wet form of FIP versus the dry form. And the wet form just means it's what we call effusive. It leaks fluid into body cavities, most commonly into the abdomen. And it's frustrating because we oftentimes would see this in purebred, really young cats. In other words, maybe a cat that you just purchased from a breeder that all of a sudden starts getting chronically ill and slowly deteriorating. And it's hard because by that point, you get really attached to them. The dry form oftentimes was more subtle and harder to diagnose. And, you know, when I went to vet school, we would learn that really high total protein or protein levels in the body were often highly suspicious of it and changes in the white blood cell count. Now, why do veterinarians find it so hard to diagnose FIP? And what testing can they do to potentially confirm the diagnosis? Well, I think you certainly, you know, described the concerns, you know, there as far as, you know, looking at the wet form or versus the dry form. And I think a lot of veterinarians find it difficult. There are a large number, I think, of veterinarians who may not see many cat cases. They may not see certainly come across cases with FIP or cats that come in and and may have either the more classical form as you described the the effusive form that's in the abdomen so they don't get used to seeing and knowing what to do with with these particular cases the dry form or non-effusive form is oftentimes a lot more subtle very subtle and in some cases slow to progress. And you might see, um, it's certainly in the dry form, you may see organ damage like kidneys or liver involvement, and the effects, you know, to those organs and, and just in the sense of failure or kidney failure or kidney damage. But we also see other forms that in the dry form that are ocular, you'll see changes 
and the cornea, you know, the iris, which is the colored part of the eye and even effects on the retina. And so, you know, some people might see, oh, their cat's one eye looks just a bit different. The pupil looks a little bit different in size or a little bit different color. We'll see a form called neurologic that affects the brain and the spinal cord. And, you know, again, those can be very acute where some of the cats will go into seizures or paralysis and other cats, it's, it's very slow progression and they just, it's harder to pick up and decide how do I go and diagnosis? Could this be FIP? I remember a case I had many years ago of a four month old kitten that essentially was just once in a while on one leg would tend to limp. He'd favor that leg and then he'd get better and they'd favor that leg. Periodic fever, which sometimes in a periodic fever that's not responsive to, you know, to antibiotics, you know, if it, like it would be a bacterial infection or other an anti-inflammatory medications can be a subtle sign of, oh, this cat certainly could have um, FIP. And so, you know, it in this particular case, and this was several years ago, we didn't even have a lot of the testing available then. It took two, three months before he started exhibiting other signs. So I think it's a very subtle nature. There's no pathognomonic type signs. And when it comes to testing or doing a type of testing to, to diagnose it, Usually there's no, oftentimes no one particular test or blood test that's going to say, yes, this is FIP, um, you know, compared to maybe looking at feline leukemia virus, you test and a lot of times you're going to have a, a result of positive, this is viral antigen in the blood. Blood testing for FIP, you know, virus is just not effective and not useful. So we have to start doing our complete blood counts, our biochemistries, uh, urinalysis. And of course, you do want to do your retrovirus testing, but you have to look for other types of testing to kind of bolster what the presence of FIP. One thing that can be, or a couple of things that can be beneficial with your routine testing that may trigger some veterinarians to see that a cat could have FIP is that some of these cats will be uh, uh, mildly anemic, some even more uh, advanced anemia. They may have a low lymphocyte blood count on their proteins and the biochemistry, their total protein will be quite a bit higher than normal range. And you'll have a ratio of two types of protein, albumin, and globulin, it will be definitely off. The globulin level be much higher and your ratio will oftentimes, we're looking to see in, in some of those cases, it will be 0.6 and lower. It's very low in a ratio of albumin to globulin and you start thinking, could this be FIP? So you have to kind of look for certain signs in the blood work or results. And, uh, and then you start going to more advanced diagnostic testing, you know, depending on 
where you know where you have disease present it's certainly much easier when you mentioned on the wet form if you're looking for effusions and you want to try and find maybe a pocket of effusion that you can remove some of that fluid and analyze it you can oftentimes with analysis it'll be very we'll call it clear but yellowish discoloration, high protein with a lot of, you know, it's very sticky. And you can take that fluid and do cytology analysis or one sometimes very quick and inexpensive test is called a Revolta test. And that's adding some of the fluid into a test tube with water and acetic acid, certain combination. We have information in the guidelines and even a video. And if that test is positive, it doesn't absolutely say it's FIP, but it can lead you to believe that that may be the case. If it's negative, a lot of times that will tend to rule out the concern of FIP there. So, you know, looking for fluid, looking for changes like that is, is very important. Well, thank you so much. Now, I know I briefly talked about wet versus dry, um, but do you mind just touching on that a little bit more and specifically what clinical signs cat owners should be keeping their eyes out for? Sure. On the wet form or effusive form, which is about 75% roughly of the cases that have FIP, usually that means that there's a buildup of fluid or effusion in most of the time in the abdomen. And so a lot of these particular cats will have start developing kind of an enlarged abdomen, a swollen belly, and they'll get, if you touch them, you might get a, or palpate them, what we call a fluid wave. You'll feel fluid in the abdomen. If a person took a radiograph or did abdominal ultrasound, you would see fluid presence there. And sometimes it can be a very small amount, like say very small pocket up to a, a larger uh, volume. And many of these cats also may have lost or not grooming, they've lost weight. And so that enlarged abdomen is really, you know, I would say even more pronounced. The guidelines show images of cats you know, there, one cat that has a a swollen abdomen. We also have in the supplemental materials, a video of this particular cat walking around, and you can see the difference in the uh, enlarged abdomen. Uh, Smaller percentage may have end up having effusion develop in the chest cavity in and around the heart and the lungs. And for in those situations, Some of the cats will be maybe breathing a little faster, a little more pronounced. The owners will see, you know, a change in breathing. It depends on how much fluid is present in the in the chest cavity. And they'll oftentimes be a bit more intolerant of exercise. There are cats that have fluid development in both the chest and the abdomen. And there are some cases not commonly, but will develop fluid in and around the pericardial sac or the sac around the heart. And that can start uh, cause essentially, uh, you know, 
cardiac or heart failure or just not uh, the heart not being able to work as efficiently as it should. So those are probably your primary areas for where you might see a fusion. It, it can develop in other unusual areas. Uh, the non-effusive form, again, you'll get what are called little pyogranulomas, the little clusters of essentially inflammatory cells. If you looked at it on histopathology and lymph nodes on the surface of kidneys, uh, the liver, I've seen cases where cats, you'll see these just on the surface of the lungs. And again, these all affect the cat, how the cat feels, the, how well they breathe, you know, and just, you know, a lot, many of them are not eating or not healthy cats. And then again, as I mentioned, the ocular form will have what we call chorioretinitis. Um, we'll have keratitis. You'll see changes again in the cornea, pupil size and shape. And so, you know, you'll see those, and usually just one eye over another. And the neurologic forms, again, very, can be very subtle with paralysis, weakness, seizures. And they are seeing a lot of what is called hydrocephalus, where the brain can herniate into the spinal canal. And some of those cats can die very acutely from neurologic uh, changes. So it can affect essentially a large percentage of area of the cat or organs. Sometimes we even see dermatologic changes. There are images in the guidelines that show a lot of the different types. In fact, you know, we named that many faces of FIP because you can see so many different forms, but about 75% roughly is effusive disease and around 25% is non-effusive disease. Great information and so important that uh, we make sure our cats are receiving good preventative care and also frequent visits because we want to make sure that we're keeping them as healthy as possible. Now, before we talk about potential treatment and options out there, how can my veterinarian use these guidelines that AFP just released with every cat to help diagnose FIP in my cats? And I was wondering if you could also tell us where we can find resources that are available about FIP for these printed new guidelines that just came out. Yeah, definitely on the uh, on different types of resources and what veterinarians can determine. One thing that when kind of getting back to talking about how hard they are, you know, to FIP is to diagnose. What we oftentimes want to do is that even though there's not always one particular test that just says, yes, that's what we have going, it's oftentimes going through your history, it's going through signalment, it's going through the physical exam, and then taking a lot, you know, just different tests. And we have an image that can be downloaded that is, I think one thing that's helped me through the years that Dr. Melissa Kennedy, who's an FIP researcher, when she would talk about FIP, she'd talk about taking different things that point to FIP and it building a brick wall. You set it up, you know, and say this 
albumin globulin ratio is very low. That's one of your bricks. You keep adding different things that come from your signalment, your history, your physical exam, and you're building a case for this cat should be diagnosed with FIP. And so I think that's one thing that they can take that image, put it up at the hospital, and it can help remind them on what they need to do. The guidelines have information about risk factors. There's also a questionnaire about that clients can fill out that they can tick off what are some of the increased risk factors that this particular patient is showing that will add more and more to that brick wall. We have information on how to do fine needle aspirates of tissue, how to do slides um, of, you know, the effusion, uh, comparison, a differential diagnosis, um, images of cytology, uh, different diseases that may tend to uh, kind of muddy the waters and you have to try and narrow it down to FIP. Uh, we have video of cats with neurologic disease and I say abdominal effusion. So veterinarians have a lot to work with there. There also is a, are images for doing ultrasound, doing what's called AFAST, and that's looking or doing an abdominal focus ultrasound, trying to find pockets of fluid or changes that might lead to being able to get a sample and test by PCR or immunohistochemistry. These are additional tests that can tell us, yes, the cat is positive for FIP or they may be negative. Each of these, the Immunohistochemistry is really considered the gold standard for diagnosing FIP if it comes up positive. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't get a, a sample with antigen present. So you can't be 100% relying on that. The guidelines will show you how or tell you more detail about how to do a fast uh, abdominal focused ultrasound or TFAST or thoracic focused ultrasound. And so we have just a lot of information in there and which tests, you know, might have be more sensitive or specific, you know, so they can understand a bit more if they're doing a PCR test, which PCR test, what they may need to ask their lab. So there's quite a bit of information, but it still comes down to build the case, look at your odds that this cat has FIP. And oftentimes, if it's really pointing in that direction, you, you know, you just have to say this cat does have FIP. Right. Now, when it comes to FIP, I know that um, I've had some cats that have had elevated feline coronavirus or F. CoV antibody titers. And sometimes I've had high titers, like one to 1600. What exactly do these antibody titers mean? I think more people understand antibody titers now with COVID and everything, but what should I be worried about if my cat was diagnosed with high feline coronavirus antibody titers? Yes, it's a good question. And, and it's one that, you know, because the feline coronavirus titer or antibody titer is, is oftentimes kind of packaged or included in many uh, panels for cats, you know, it, you may see a result of 
maybe zero, you know, no titer or antibody titer up to, I've seen some cats 12,000, one to 12,800, even higher. And some situations, veterinarians or even owners get concerned, oh, this means my cat has FIP. Well, what it really is demonstrating is exposure and antibody response to feline coronavirus. It does not and this could be just the innocuous intestinal virus and the cat will go on and be fine and be healthy. It's possible that cat may be shedding feline coronavirus, the innocuous form uh, to, you know, in its environment, but it does not necessarily mean that that cat has FIP, will go on to develop FIP. It's just really against feline coronavirus. So it's there. It's something that may tell you, you know, there's exposure, but uh, I think that we've really tried to move away from that test telling us that this cat has FIP and making a, um, a decision, especially a very, do we potentially treat supportive care versus this kitty is fading and do we need to consider letting them go? You don't necessarily want to, you don't want to use the antibody titer to make those kind of serious decisions. I still think a lot of veterinarians are using it as a way. And, you know, obviously we want to make sure we're interpreting uh, the FIP tests appropriately and that we're making sure that we're interpreting the results correctly as veterinary professionals. Now, just to confirm, if you have a cat that was a confirmed diagnosis of FIP, what do you do with other cats in the household? Like, are those other cats going to get FIP knowing that there's this benign coronavirus versus this one that will mutate into the more deadly FIP? And does it mean you can't adopt any cats in the future? What do you do when it comes to bringing a new cat in the household? Well, that's a good question. And and certainly one that many cat lovers, cat owners ask and wrestle with. And, and usually, you know, as far as if a cat, if you have a cat that's diagnosed with FIP in the household, they are not shedding lethal virus, you know, to the other cats. You may potentially, depending on how they're feeling, you might want to separate them but you don't necessarily need to. You just would separate them so they could have their care more comfortable and and how you can focus on them. But again, they're not going to spread FIP to another cat in the household. And it's always a good idea probably to change your cat litter boxes. It is a fecal oral spread of virus, at least as far as the innocuous virus. So change the cat boxes daily, clean them often, keep them in a separate area away from food and water dishes that just minimizes exposure to coronavirus, but I would not necessarily worry about anything. And you can bring other kitties into the household later. You certainly may not want to do it like right away. Certainly feeling coronavirus can live in the environment for quite a while. But again, most cats, it's really kind of a combination of the virus, the mutations. We don't know what all mutations it takes, what particular thing situation occurs in a cat that changes it from an intestinal type virus, loving intestinal cells to going and wanting to essentially replicate in these monocytes and macrophages. So it takes quite a bit more 
happening with that cat host and environment and virus before you'd see disease. So a lot of people worry about it, but I would probably not. I just do good hygiene, good care, good nutrition, and and certainly focus on the kitty that has FIP and trying to do the best for them. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of background about any kind of treatment options that are available for cats that are diagnosed with FIP and symptomatic from it? Well, certainly there's been a lot of research probably since 2014-2015. It is a very complicated situation and certainly with these guidelines we had to focus on on the diagnosis part just because guidelines have to be very scientific based. But there are antivirals that have been developed. Unfortunately, what complicates things is that they are not FDA approved. They're available out of China and manufactured there and are over and delivered to, you know, like the United States, Canada, other countries, but they're not approved by a regulatory agency. So veterinarians cannot unfortunately um, prescribe, sell help, you know, they can do supportive care and, and testing on cases, but it becomes complicated because it's non-FDA approved for cats. But these particular antivirals do seem in many situations to stop the replication of the virus quickly. The cats do start oftentimes feeling better very quickly, and they appear to be effective against both or all forms, non-effusive forms, ocular, neurologic. So cats are responding and oftentimes getting back to living normal, healthy lives. And there's more research out there. We do want to try and uh, certainly every Cat Health Foundation is trying very hard to fund research and, and support looking at other particular antiviral medications, other medications to um, be able to be FDA approved and available for cats everywhere. There are certainly some countries like Australia and the UK where there are approved licensed treatments available or antiviral treatments, but certainly good supportive care, nutrition, pain control, you know, because a lot of these cats are uncomfortable. There's much that can be done, but there's no question the antiviral treatments have been very, have been a game changer in many ways, but we still have some huge hurdles in, in trying to get them available legally in the United States. Great information, Dr. Thayer. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. 
Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been talking about all things feline and talking specifically with Dr. Vicki Thayer about feline infectious peritonitis and the newest guidelines that just came out in 2022 about how to appropriately diagnose this for veterinary professionals. Now, when it comes to the diagnosis, when it comes to treatment, we've already discussed what you need to know and how you need to work with your veterinarian on this. Dr. Thayer, do you want to leave us with any last few tips when it comes to diagnosing cats and what we can do about it to make sure our cats are accurately diagnosed? And again, leave one or two treatment options that might be available. Sure. Definitely what I would do, you would ask the question about where to find the guidelines. You can definitely go on the catvets.com website, which is for the American Association of Feline Practitioners and download the guidelines plus supplemental materials. Same for Every Cat Health Foundation, Every Cat .org. I would strongly recommend download the guidelines read through them, utilize the questionnaire for your patients, and also look at downloading the chart that kind of gives you an idea, build your diagnosis brick by brick, your diagnosis and potential treatment really still has to be tailored to an individual cat and their situation with FIP. And you can go out there, diagnose, I think, comfortably reading through these guidelines. We have situations or information on what the positives for a particular test is, what may be drawbacks, but you should be able to find information to help you diagnose comfortably. And I would also say diagnose soon. These cats need to be treated soon. And the antiviral treatments... You can find information checking online, checking out there. A lot of cat owners, cat people go online, they can find the information and be able to share that. Encourage veterinarians to do this if you're a cat lover to go and download the guidelines. And there's a lot of information there. Thank you so much. Really appreciate all that you do for our feline family members out there. And again, do you mind just giving us a little more information about what every cat does out there, what every cat foundation does? Well, every cat health foundation, essentially, I'm a huge donor for the foundation, but we need donations. We need funding to come into us. And we have twice a year what we call scientific reviews and researchers in feline medicine will submit proposals on different projects about looking at how can we treat, can this drug potentially cure FIP? Can we treat heart disease? Can we detect heart disease? What can we do in different situations on diabetic cats? And so we take these proposals and we sit down for several hours in, in one meeting 
and go over these and we select the ones that will help the most cats be the most beneficial, you know, help cat lovers, help veterinarians be able to treat their patients. And we fund this research. And a lot of times it's been as it's been game changing. And so we need donors help to help us be able to fund more cat health research because they need it. And that's a way that we can help uh, the future of cat health. Thank you so much again for all that you do. And again, people can go to everycat.org for more information. Thank you again for joining us today, Dr. Thayer. Thank you. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Thanks for tuning in. And you can always find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Dr. Vicki Thayer and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.